You are listening to Pili Aloha Now, Building Sustainability, Youth Indicator Series with co-host Chris Jazz Colthurst. This series is brought to you by Thrively. Every child deserves to thrive. Building sustainability is about bridging the gaps in definitions, understanding, and trust when implementing sustainability, while innovating with empathy in order to have a sustainable future for our current and future generations. The youth are key indicators of how we are doing as a society. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the fourth episode. This is Pili Aloha Estal. With me is co-host Chris Jazz Colthurst. Hello, Chris. Hey, everybody. Chris, having our guest Ariel Gonzalez on last week, the Senior Vice President of Public Policy for the March of Dimes in Washington, D.C., was really eye-opening for me. I have many organizations and causes that I support, and I thought I really understood ways to advocate But he did personally, for me, help me understand the importance of sharing our own stories with these organizations that we care so much about. I actually started reading about my personal experience with pregnancy complications, and I learned so much more about it. And I'm actually going to reach out to the March of Dimes to share my story. What's interesting is I have done public policy for nonprofits. So for me, you would think it would come natural, but we forget the power of sharing our personal stories, no matter how big or small, and how these stories really do help create change in policy. So I just found that full circle very, very impactful for me. Yeah, I love the fact that, you know, he was able to pivot, uh, you know, in different jobs and understand the the specifics of how each nonprofit needs to work differently to develop policy for their specific causes. Yes, and I mean, he went from full spectrum AARP to March of Dimes. So, I mean, today I have to say, I know both you and I, Chris, are really honored to welcome Dr. Moises Baron, President and CEO of San Diego Center for Children. Founded in 1887, the San Diego Center for Children is the oldest 501c3 nonprofit in the region. The center provides evidence-based therapeutic, educational, foster care, and transition age services to children and families struggling with mental, emotional, and behavioral disorders. With an extensive background in youth and mental health wellness, Dr. Baron has been instrumental in creating and implementing collaborative care programs at institutes such as the University of San Diego and now at the San Diego Center for Children. Dr. Baron is committed to serving the behavioral health and educational needs of at-risk and underserved children and youth in our community. Welcome, Dr. Baron. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you, Dr. Barone. And to begin, can you share with us today your background with youth development, wellness, and mental health, and your ongoing work providing and establishing essential programs and services for the youth in our communities? Uh, I'll I'll be happy to do it. Actually, I've been fortunate to have had a a career uh, that spans uh, now a number of decades, I must say. And uh, through my career, I've had an opportunity to work. I'm, I'm a clinical psychologist. Uh, I had an opportunity to work delivering services and overseeing services in a number of different clinical settings, such as outpatient, community clinics, uh, and also inpatient settings. So that really provided me with a uh, breadth of, of understanding about the needs of individuals uh, with different mental, emotional, and behavioral disorders. Um, then I had an opportunity during the second phase of my career to work at the University of San Diego, where I was on the one hand teaching in the marriage family therapy program and counseling program, but also I was the 
director of the Counseling Center and the first assistant vice president of student wellness. So I really had an opportunity to learn about how to work in an academic setting and how to serve that population and to also develop the kinds of programs, uh, wellness and health and counseling programs that student population would need. Uh, and uh, now uh, I have the privilege to be able to serve at the San Diego Center for Children, which as you indicated is the oldest uh, children's nonprofit in the community. And we provide a range of mental, emotional, and behavioral disorders, uh, touching the lives of about a thousand people every single day. Awesome. Wow. Can you go into a little bit more about like the details of the programs and services offered by the San Diego Center for Children? Happy to do so. Actually, something that makes the center uh, fairly unique in our community is that we have an integrated continuum of therapeutic and educational services. On the one hand, we provide uh, services in schools. Uh, we also now have a collaborative care program where we provide services in pediatric uh, practices. We have outpatient services. We also do a lot of work in the community, in homes and in the community. We have community-based programs where we touch the lives of, of um, many individuals, uh, many of them involved with the child welfare system or the uh, probation system. Uh, we also have an intensive family services program. We have an intensive outpatient program, and we have a residential treatment program as well. And in addition to that, we also have here in our main campus in Linda Vista um, a, a non-public non school that is WASC accredited. Uh, so what makes us unique is like when families come to us, we can identify what is the level of care that they need and make sure that they, or we can try to make what we can to be able to make sure that they get it. But we can also step up the care or step it down depending on what the needs uh, in the community uh, or the individual could be. And Dr. Brown, you touched upon the collaborative care programs and what that involves. So I know when we had talked last, we were talking about uh, that collaborative care program that you established with Children's Primary Care Medical Group. Are you able to talk a little bit about how you started that program? Uh, be happy to. Uh, actually, let me uh, first provide a little bit of, of perspective about okay. what are the, the needs that we're seeing in the community. A lot of people are not aware that about 20% plus of all children and youth in our community experience a mental, emotional, or behavioral disorder. So that's a very significant proportion of the population, one in five. What is really of concern to us is that the data suggests that 80% of those youth may not get the help they need. So in San Diego County, if you think about five to 18 year olds, you may talk about, I don't know, 120,000 uh, youth. And now think about the fact that 80% of, of, of those that are impacted. And now think about the fact that 80% of those may not be getting uh, the help they need. So that's very significant. And we're seeing the manifestation of this in a number of different areas. On the one hand, suicide has become the second leading cause of death in children and youth in our communities. And, and the indicator is moving in the wrong direction. It's something that we're very concerned about. Uh, another example is in, um, we have a partnership with Radish Children's Hospital here in San Diego. And they were reporting that they've seen an 800% increase in the number of cases in the emergency department in just wow. eight years, psychiatric, emergency, uh, psychiatric emergencies. So that's a very significant uh, increase and, and, again, speaks to the fact that the problem exists, people are having difficulty finding the help they need, and then as a result, these situations 
uh, may become more complicated or more acute, impacting every aspect of a child's functioning school, their home environment, and later uh, their involvement in the community. So on the one hand, we have that situation that unfortunately I'm afraid that now with what we're experiencing with the pandemic and, and, and the racial injustice and social and, and racial trauma that many of our communities are experiencing has the potential to just become more significant. Um, the other component that we know is that all the data clearly indicates that early identification and early intervention with these problems is, is what really works best. So the sooner we can identify them and the earlier we can intervene with the appropriate interventions, uh, the better it's gonna be for that child and, and probably for their family as well. So we've been really spending some time thinking about how we can improve access and how we can identify those youth earlier on. Uh, so again, we're already doing a lot of work in schools, um, in the community, and what we felt that was important is to try to bring uh, these kind of resources to primary care. We know that children go to their pediatricians for all kinds of, of reasons. And we also know that pediatricians are starting to identify a very significant proportion of youth who are experiencing these challenges. They're seeing it, they're concerned about it. So the idea was if they are conducting screenings to be able to identify these problems, would it be best to be able to embed in those pediatric clinics uh, mental health professionals, members of our team that could be available to conduct assessments, to be a consultant to the pediatrician, to be a consultant to the family, and to be able to early on provide uh, some of the services that they need. And that's exactly what wow. we did. And we started this program back in October. This was October 2019, correct? 2019, so it's a fairly new program. We started with two uh, locations uh, for uh, Children's Primary Care Medical Group, which is the largest pediatric practice in San Diego, as a way to pilot it. And in a matter of just five months, we got... We, they identify and we receive like 235. <gasps> wow. Which really speaks to that pent up demand that exists. Um, and the fact that this is probably a good way to be able to collaborate at the partner to be able to provide the services that children and families need. Mm -hmm. Well, I just got goosebumps when you gave me those numbers because that's just, I mean, not in a good way to have goosebumps, but in a way that you have to reach those individuals and finding those ways to integrate into yeah. into areas, obviously, is how when we first talked. I, I just think that looking at those different outlets is really, really important. I think you just like data. So that's what, you know, you have a... <laughs> data is very important. 14. And I think that's what we're going to be talking a lot more about today, Dr. Perón, too. Oh, absolutely. Um, but you know, as, as I was uh, hearing you both, uh, I'm reminded also that behind each one of those numbers, there is an individual, a family, and a story. Yeah. And that frequently we, we do see a great deal of challenges and sufferings, uh, of suffering, of difficulties, uh, despair. Um, so we have reached the point in our community that we need to identify that this is a significant problem and it's being recognized at, at, at all levels. Uh, actually, the Surgeon General of California uh, made, made a case uh, and a point that she wanted to make sure that in pediatric practices, pediatricians assess for adverse childhood experiences, because we know that a very significant proportion of youth are exposed to situations that could impact their development or that could impact their well-being. So the sooner we can identify it, the better. Uh, 
what makes our approach kind of unique and different, and I believe that one of the reasons why we were able to establish this partnership is rather than having a more uh, typical individual center approach where we're looking at challenges, behavior, symptoms, and trying to reduce them, which is kind of a more of a medical process, we look at it from a family-centered perspective. What we were thinking is that if a child is struggling, there is a chance that this is having an impact on the family, the parents or parent, the parents, whether they may be on siblings, and or the fact that there might be certain challenges in the family that are impacting this youth. So we felt that it was important to go e coming in from a more holistic approach and a family-centered approach. So we developed a tool that allows us to assess what are the needs that the family is seeing as it relates to the child among all dimensions of functioning, but we also inquire about what is happening with the family, what's happening with the couple, if there is a couple of parents, or if they are separated or divorced, whatever may, the needs may be, what's happening with the siblings, what are the needs that they have to access services in the community and are they being successful in doing so, and also what's happening with the natural support. Are they connected to their neighborhood, are they connected to their uh, family, uh, friends, etc. So this tool is allowing us to get a more comprehensive, holistic perspective. So when the family comes to us, we're able to identify what does this child need, but also what this family needs. And what we want to do is tra translate this information into what we call a family action plan, where we have specific goals, interventions for this family to be able to uh, identify what we can do to alleviate the challenges that the youth may be experiencing, but the supports that the family may need uh, in a more holistic approach. And if we are able to provide the services, fantastic. If we identify that there might be another service or organization that may be better suited to be able to help this family, we will connect them with such service. And so when we talk about that, Dr. Baron, let's say we have those offices, you pilot it into two offices. And obviously the numbers are showing the effectiveness of it and what that is doing for people to be able to integrate into the families, what you and I had talked about earlier when we had discussed what you call a warm handoff and what that means and establishing it, how would you then take that and bring it into either more offices or, or what does that look like for the collaborative care program and how can we take that to another level? You know, that, that's a great question because at the end of the day, yes, we want to be able to identify how to scale program like this so that we can reach uh, more families. What we wanted to do, and we appreciate the partnership that we have with Reyes and also with Children's Primary Care Medical Group, what we wanted to do was first identify what would be the best practices. Uh, what would be the processes that the pediatricians could use to be able to do their screenings, the processes to be able to have them refer uh, those families to us, our ability to be present and be able to collaborate and interact within the uh, a primary care setting, which again, you need to learn about it and you need to make sure that you understand how it works and, and how to make yourself useful. Uh, how to be available to respond to crisis, how to be available to be able to, like you were mentioning before, taking this kind of warm handoffs. Um, and also we wanted to pilot the effectiveness of this methodology that we have developed because what this uh, process that we call Empower Families starts with a family needs assessment. And we have been able to uh, develop a web-based uh, tool where families are able to provide us with the information that I was just talking about so that we, by the time we see them, we already have a very good picture of what are the areas of need so we can be more effective in our assessment and our response. 
And we're also allows, this tool allows to collect data to be able to identify what are the common needs of families um, in a particular area or in a particular demographic. So we're going to be able to translate this information into interventions as well. And we're also trying to collect data about outcomes and satisfaction. Our goal is that as we can identify these best practices with this new methodology that we're developing, now we have added a second clinician, we have added some interns, so we're going to be able to serve more, um, more families. And our goal is to continue to work with Children's Primary Care Medical Group to expand this to other offices. The other thing that we can do is as we are um, identifying and documenting these approaches, we can train other providers to do this, not only here in San Diego, but in other communities. And to give them access to some of the tools that we have developed, which are now, like I mentioned before, web-based. So our hope is to be able to codify this and to be able to identify the best way to do it so that we can expand it here in San Diego, potentially partner with the other uh, pediatric practices, but also train others on how to be able to do it so that it really scales, not only in our own community, but in other communities as well. You can take that, uh, and what we had talked about before is that ability to integrate it into practices within Children's Primary Care Medical Group, but then also impact that into other areas. You take that model and then implement it into other fields. And in areas where you can do that, what you call warm handoff, which I think sometimes is that missed opportunity that we don't always think about. And I think what I always want to do for my listeners to help them understand what does that look like? So if they have a question, obviously, I want them to, you know, reach out to your organization. If they have questions or concerns or ideas, I always tell listeners, please reach out if you if you have ideas or if you're maybe not within that medical group, but you are interested, of course, reach out to you, get involved or ask questions, you're available. Because obviously, the goal is always to reach as many people as possible with today's mediums that we use, such as, you know, interviews. Oh, absolutely. And, and again, I really appreciate the opportunity. So we are available to be able to help families in, in whichever way we can. Uh, what we discussed today is one of our programs, one of our newest programs, but we have other programs throughout the community, as I had mentioned before, we touch lives about a thousand people every single day. Uh, and we have a presence throughout the whole community um, in a number of different ways. So for people that are interested in learning about the range of programs that we have available and the range of resources, they can visit our webpage at centerforchildren.org. In there, they're going to be able to get some, what I hope will be useful information about the manifestation of some of these challenges and difficulties. They can always contact us, they can call our main number, and we would be able to then identify how to be able to help them, how to be able to connect them with the appropriate level of, of service or the appropriate level of care. Um, what we want to do, what we want to accomplish is, we understand that it's challenging enough for parents uh, or a parent, single parent, whatever the situation may be, to care for the child. Uh, when, when that child or children are in addition to the typical stressors of life, experiencing some kind of uh, underlying condition, a history of trauma, uh, a mental health problem, challenges of school educational problems, things become more challenging and more complicated. And trying to navigate uh, what can at times be a siloed and also complicated system of care can be very overwhelming. So what we're trying to do is try to simplify that, that hopefully families contact us or we identify them through our school programs 
our therapeutic programs for our collaborative care, that we can identify together with them the needs and be able to develop the best possible plan for them to get uh, their needs met in the most appropriate way. We would like to scale this. We would like to be able to help more families and share with others some of the things that we're learning because we understand that we have a strength as organization, but at the end of the day, it's about partnerships that we can create with others in the community to be able to tap into what it is that they do well, what are some of the things that, that we can contribute to the process so that families can have access in a more integrated and holistic way to the services they need. Well, and I think you touched upon where we can go from either the individual reaching out to your organization as well as other organizations, institutes to reach out to get more information. Because again, it's how to then take that next step. And I think we talked a lot about thinking from a a systemic setting and being able to bring that into schools. Because you already, as you said, that's already been kind of a process into schools, but then it's now going into, you know, whether it's a medical, you know, uh, practitioner standpoint, and then other areas. So I guess for me is what is the best way to help individuals understand how to either involve, because I think right now for me, just understanding the mental health, because when you gave us those numbers in the beginning, when we first ta- were talking, the numbers are going in the wrong direction. So then if they're going in the wrong direction, what do we knew, need to do as individuals? Because we all, either our parents want to just make sure to protect our youth. How do we then collaboratively try to impact as many people to help get those numbers back in the other direction. So obviously the programs that you're doing with the collaborative care programs and involving these in, in as many areas as possible is for me always is then how to how to not expedite, but then how do we help people to understand the need for that? Like we were saying, share your stories with the organization, share your involvement. So it's really trying to help people understand we are the numbers are not going in the right direction and how do we then help individuals to move together collectively organizations individuals to move it in a the other direction and so I guess that's my question for you is what does that look like for you as an organization how can we best be there for you or get the information out and spread the word I really appreciate that uh your insights and also your question uh, about this. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we, we have to remember that when, when we have a problem that is systemic, uh, that really manifests itself in all aspects of society, because the challenges that I'm talking about got across all socioeconomic status, all races, all ethnicities, uh, all backgrounds, nationalities. Uh, I mean, we're finding that these challenges and difficulties are impacting families across uh, our communities. And again, sometimes some of the stressors and the unique challenges that, the, that certain communities have asked the problem. Obviously, if you've been exposed to racial or social trauma or prejudice, et cetera, will add to, to some of these difficulties in a very unique way. Uh, but uh, there's a number of things that we as a society need to do. Need to do. Number one, uh, we believe that through uh, mediums like this, which again, we really appreciate the opportunity, is to be able to raise awareness to be able to help people understand that these are significant challenges that have the potential to become a public health significant problem, and that as a result of that, we need to recognize. We also need to help families and teachers and pediatricians, those that interact with youth at all levels, recognize what are the indicators 
of a mental health problem? What are the indicators of a learning problem or a developmental problem? So that these uh, hopefully will be identified early on and then to be able to make the appropriate connection with the appropriate provider so that a, an assessment can be done and a plan of action can be uh, implemented. Uh, so that becomes another important point. Uh, the other thing that I think is very, very important is to help families understand how to recognize and to empower them to be able to identify that when they recognize that something is amiss or something is of concern, that they are correct and that they should feel that it's okay to seek help, whether it's with a pediatrician, with a teacher, or by accessing uh, resources through uh, their insurance, uh, Medi-Cal, or by contacting providers like us. Um, but at the end of the day, we're really going to have an impact. We need to have those partnerships where we can bring the awareness and we can bring the resources uh, to families where they are. That, I think, really has the potential to bring about significant change. And in the process of doing that, we're also empowering primary care physicians, pediatricians, to feel more comfortable in recognizing these issues, to know that they're having an impact, and to also learn more about it so that in turn, they can also play more of a role. So it becomes a win-win-win in the same way that it happens in schools when teachers feel that they have a partner uh, in, in, a, in a mental health professional that is there to identify, to, to, to guide, to coach, uh, but also to listen. Uh, so I think that these are the kinds of components that really at the end of the day could bring about the kind of change that we need to see to have a dent on this issue. We cannot continue to just respond to crisis. And that is, it's, it's about mental health, it's about inequities in our society, it's about racial justice, uh, social justice. In all areas, what these things have in common is that we are responding to crisis. We, we recognize that these common elements really can help bring about change if we, if we are more thoughtful, persistent um, in, in thinking about our interventions at a systemic level and, and with partnerships. Well, it just mental health awareness alone is really just changed, I'd say, in the past year or so. And, and after talking with you, my understanding, and that's what I always try to do, I think, okay, if I'm a listener or I'm trying to get more involved, and sometimes it feels a little overwhelming, A, for a parent, because I'm a parent, I know when I have children, Chris has two, what, how do we know to, what are like cues and how do we pay attention to their mental health? You know, being a parent is already hard enough, and then you add on those numbers and you want to be an active parent and be involved. So I think, as you said, it's it's coming from a before system, not a response system. It's it's being interactive and prevention. And, and I think what you're doing is so instrumental. I was so touched after the first time we talked. I, I know I just started researching more. I was doing more. You always think you know, but there's always more we can learn and be a part of. So I think, and Chris is probably going to agree with me on this, is, is, and you already kind of said, okay, here's our organization, here's our phone number, here's our website, but is there any other areas you can think of that we can help be more involved or anything else we can do to help bring awareness, send people to the organization? What does that look like as a community for us, especially in San Diego? Because I do feel a lot of these the pandemic and a lot of areas become community-based problems that I feel that we can work on it as a community versus, because it seems so big once you go outside of your community. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so we do have a very robust uh, volunteer program. 
So there's a number of ways that people that may be interested can learn how they can participate in, in helping with our mission. Uh, and given that we have a 12-acre campus, main campus in San Diego, there's a lot of opportunity to have hands-on experience, and we're very appreciative for that because that's very, very helpful. Uh, soon, hopefully, we'll be able to continue with the tours that we have here on campus uh, rather than doing things virtually. Uh, so we would invite people to come uh, to be able to allow us to show them what we do, how we do it, so that they can uh, understand it. We're also always happy to go speak with... Uh, groups. Uh, so we, we have staff that have expertise in a number of different areas. So if there is a particular group that wants to get someone with expertise to talk about mental health, about trauma, about issues related to uh, learning challenges or difficulties, we, we have the staff that can do that and we're happy to do so. We're happy to go on to the community to be able to share uh, some information uh, that, that can be useful. And at the end of the day, uh, something that you mentioned is that uh, being a parent is challenging and difficult enough, especially in this day and age. Uh, we hope that what parents understand is that they can feel comfortable uh, with reaching out to ask the questions that they need to ask, uh, to be able to say, I'm seeing this, I'm hearing this, I'm noticing this, I'm not sure. I want to run it by someone. Rather than feeling like you need to know the answer so that it's, it's not okay to be able to reach out. I think it's really important to be able to do that. And if we are able to make sure that teachers, pediatricians, mental health professionals, uh, folks that are working in social service, uh, really have an understanding of the importance of these issues and are able to be responsive and establishing those connections, uh, I think all of those things could really bring about the kind of uh, change that we need. And for people to know that this is not unique to the family. Uh, that these problems are significant enough, pervasive enough, that, that it affects many families. And as a result of that, hopefully this will take away any kind of stigma or, or any kind of doubt that people may have in being able to reach out and be able to have the conversations that need to be had. Well, I know Chris and I are looking forward to our tour that we talked about when we first got on. So we're looking forward to that. And again, thank you so much, is there anything else you feel that would be important to share at this time? Or maybe Chris and I will do a follow-up with you after our tour and we can let the audience know and hopefully get encourage more people to, to come down and come do a tour. Are you, is it right now you can't, correct? Or when are you reopening? Well, actually, many of our services now, in, in community-based services, our therapeutic services are being provided to telehealth. Uh, which is good, and we're also supporting the families that didn't have access to some of the technology to be able to get it so that we can continue to reach out to them. And our uh, special education academy, uh, non-public school, is uh, doing uh, their instruction remotely, but our residential treatment program has been open throughout the whole pandemic. We have been here, we have been open, providing care to youth that have the highest levels of needs. And our staff has been absolutely magnificent in responding and raising to the challenge. And, and despite uh, the concerns that exist in the community, taking the precautions to make sure that we can provide a therapeutic and safe environment to the youth. So we're here. So I think that we're reaching a point where we're starting to have visitors on campus. Um, and we can definitely do that with the appropriate uh, precautions. And we know that people are very aware of them now. Um, but uh, again, we, we have continued to adapt and to be available. And if anything, we're always looking for ways to be able to use some of these challenges, look at the silver lining and realizing that with telehealth, 
which we've been thinking for a while that we were forced to implement it in a matter of 48 hours, mm-hmm. with telehealth, we're going to be able to reach out to your family. So we foresee that this is going to be a good thing. We foresee that the aftermath of the, one, one of the components of the, of the aftermath of this pandemic is like more and more providers are embracing and getting more comfortable with telehealth. So for us to be able to combine the in-person care with the telehealth, I believe at the end of the day will allow us to reach out to more people more effectively. And we're looking forward to that because we can really significantly uh, expand the range of services that we provide. And I believe that some of my colleagues in the community feel exactly the same way. Love the silver lining. Yeah, thank you for the silver lining, Dr. Boron, because I think for all of us, you know, we're just trying to navigate it the best we can as parents, as individuals, community members. So thank you so much for sharing with us today. And hopefully we'll have you back on soon so we can talk about the tour and learn a little bit more about your program with Children's Primary Care Group. That would be amazing. We'll be happy to do so. Thank you very much for the opportunity to be able to reach your audience. We really appreciate it. And thank you for the work that you're doing bringing these important topics to the community. Oh, thank you, Dr. Brown. Stay well. Good talking to the you. On our next episode, we are honored to welcome Shireen Primo of the Nua Nua Nation, Vice President of the Indigenous Social Work Alliance and Chairperson of the Native American Council, NASW California Chapter. She'll be educating us about the boarding school era, Indigenous treatment, seventh generation youth training, and Generation Red Road for cultural healing. We'd also love to hear about your youth and sustainability stories, or to be a guest on this podcast, visit cityindesign.com. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Pililoha Now, hashtag building sustainability. Tag and share with us your community programs, successes, and concerns so we can help spread the word. For Pili Aloha Now, Building Sustainability Youth Indicator Series, this is Pili Aloha. And this is Chris. Thank you for joining us. <laughs>